Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the TF Podcast, where we discuss technology, business, and finance. I'm here with my next guest. His name is Todd Goldberg. He's the co-founder of Crush Capital. He's working on something really interesting uh, with Entrepreneur.com and his new series called Going Public. So I'm excited to talk about that, talk about entrepreneurship and and startups and and fundraising. So with that, Todd, I'd love if you could uh, introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. My name is Todd Goldberg. I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Crush Capital, and we are the creators and owners of uh, First of Its Kind series, an original series that's going to stream on entrepreneur.com. The name of the show is Going Public, and what we'll do is we'll feature five founders on their journey uh, of raising capital to a NASDAQ IPO, and for the first time ever, viewers of the series can actually invest in any of the deals featured on the show. Uh that sounds pretty awesome. I'm excited to dive deeper into that. Um, you know, I love just before, as we get started is where did that idea kind of originate from overall? And, you know, cause I know you're doing it as a small cap IPO, which is also not the most, you know, common form of IPO. Right. So I'd love to just start there. How did this come about? Yeah, my co-founder, Darren Marble, um, started in uh, Regulation A financial marketing and has marketed more than half of the Reg A plus IPOs that have uh, happened over the last six years. And so I was following his career. I came from the med tech industry, so medical devices, medical technology. And oftentimes when I was working for these companies, I was a great storyteller. And so they'd always drag me along to the pitches. Uh, with the investors, whether they were VCs um, or otherwise family offices and high net worth individuals. And I really enjoyed telling the story of the company and the technology. And a couple of years ago, I did a pitch um, for this big crowdfunding um, VC called R Crowd. And they're, they're pretty notorious in the industry, but I, I didn't know anything about crowdfunding other than my, my friend and, and peer, Darren Marble, kind of working in it. And we did the pitch and we were successful. I think we raised, I don't know, seven or 8 million. And I called him and I said, hey, have you ever heard of our crowd? He said, of course I have, they're like the biggest. And I said, well, we just did a pitch and uh, it was successful. And like, I, I, now I understand, I think what you do. I said, I have an idea. I have an idea, I wanna, um, I wanna, I wanna tell you about it. Where are you? He said, I'm in Manhattan. I said, I'll be there tomorrow. So I flew out and the whole plane ride, I kind of crafted my message. I, I, I honed in on the idea and the core message of the idea. And around that time, what was happening in the world, which has been happening for a long time, but I started to pay attention to it, was companies that I knew and loved, companies that I was a customer of, Uber, Lyft, Peloton, Pinterest, Sonos, Beyond Meat, all these great companies, they were staying private for quite a long time. The valuations were getting pretty big and when it was time for their IPO. I couldn't buy in. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to buy Uber shares before the IPO, but I couldn't, none of my friends or family or colleagues could. And so the idea came to me that using regulation A plus, we could inspire and really empower retail investors, customers, fans, and followers of companies to actually become owners in those companies. So I came out, I was really excited to tell Darren this idea and kind of pitch him on starting it with me. And before I could even finish the first sentence, he goes, I've heard that idea before, it's not gonna work. <laughs> so he turned me down. I love and it. I go, well, hold on a second, hold on that a second. That doesn't sound like Darren though, that's funny. That's a, um... Yeah, he actually called it, I think that we joke about the acronym now, it's called a CPI, commonly pitched idea. And it's like, oh, Shark Tank, but you could invest, right? 
but what we what we learned that day and what we worked through over the last you know the two and a half hours that I was there was you know what what is the reason why this show does not exist you know if it's a commonly pitched idea and a lot of other people have had this sort of thought or at least the, 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 the thesis why doesn't it exist and we started to walk through all the gaps and it turns out by the end of that dinner we thought we could actually fill in all those gaps with the right partners he had a network i had a network both were very different but complementary and so i ended up bringing production I brought distribution and Darren brought capital market service providers. He brought technology, he brought an investment bank and he brought financial marketing, which he was an expert in. And so we put all that together and we formed crush capital and, um, and we haven't looked back since. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's uh, it's, it's funny, right? Because when, I mean, it, good for both of you to just, just work through the idea, you know, it's sometimes like, wait, that doesn't sound right. But as you start to just talk it through and, you know, do the exercises that it takes, like, wait, how, how do we make this work? Right? Like, how, like, if this was to work, how would it work? Uh, no, I, I think that's, I think that's great. Um, now, where, uh, so I know you, you, you're doing this with entrepreneur.com walk us through a little bit of like kind of how like that even came to fruition. Like how did you go ahead and decide to do this with entrepreneur.com as opposed to say a, a network or, you know, a YouTube series or something, something different. Yeah, sure. I mean, we started out pitching ourselves, right? We live in Los Angeles. Um, you could throw a rock and hit a producer in this town. Right. And everybody knows somebody. So we're sales guys at heart and we know how to prospect. And so we, we leveraged some connections. We had some, some people in our network and we worked really hard and we called it sniping and we got to pitch at a really high level, the head of original content at CBS. We pitched Lionsgate. We pitched Amazon, all of whom were heads of unscripted and everybody told us the same thing. Oh my God, this is amazing. But what we realized was those people had to then sell it internally to their bosses or their boss's bosses. And anytime the subject of investing came up, everybody felt really out of their lane. And when an attorney got involved in some of those um, pitch meetings, things got a little more forward. They got a little more progressed. And when attorneys got involved, entertainment attorneys, contract attorneys, they were also out of their lane because capital markets, Law is very different, right? Securities law is very different than entertainment law. So what we realized was we need to get to a distributor who number one has an audience of like-minded individuals who have a thirst for the entrepreneurial spirit, who live and breathe it. They're entrepreneurs themselves or aspire to be one one day. They're business owners. They're starting a business. They've got a great business and they just love learning from other entrepreneurs and being involved in this community. And, uh, and we found entrepreneur.com and they had a show that was produced in house called Elevator Pitch. A lot like Shark Tank, entrepreneur gets in an elevator, they ride up for 60 seconds to the top floor, they're pitching the camera. And if the judges like it, the door opens and they get to pitch more and maybe get an investment. And if not, they take the right of shame back down to the lobby. <laughs> and what we realized was for a minute there, they tried to get the viewers an opportunity to invest in some of these startups through um, an existing web platform, but it didn't work. 
they didn't have the right pieces, they didn't have the right technology, they didn't have the right approach, but they had an appetite for it. So I caught that, reached out, one thing led to another, and we negotiated an amazing promotion and distributions agreement, and we were able to get all of the parties aligned. And when I say parties, again, I'm back to the attorneys, right? Everybody's got a brand to protect. Everybody wants sure. to make sure they're doing it in the right way and doing the right thing and all that good stuff. So it took about 16 months or so to negotiate it. Um, we're really happy with where it landed. Um, and that audience is going to be just right on point. That's awesome. So how does that work exactly? So when you pitch to entrepreneur or you are you selling the show to them and then they own the show or are they essentially like kind of like have a royalty? The show? What, what does that look like? How does that work? That's a great question. And, and in a traditional model, like we started to walk down that road, as I mentioned, we pitched Amazon and we pitched Lionsgate and we pitched CBS. And so in that model, what you do is you try to sell them the show and then what they give you is money to produce it right? And you might become an executive producer and you might get a fee per episode. Our model was completely different. And we realized very quickly that we didn't want to sell the show because we had gotten really far down the line. In fact, we got an offer from uh, the largest linear financial network, CNBC. And when we started walking down the road with the legal, we realized we would lose complete control of this asset something that we had worked so hard to build, something that was very uh, much aligned with our passions. We wouldn't have any creative control in the series. We wouldn't be able to select the companies who were featured. We wouldn't be able to bring in the service providers that we had already worked so hard to partner with. And so what we, what we approached entre Entrepreneur with was, we want to pay you. In other words, we want to buy into your audience. We want to become somewhat of a billboard advertiser relationship, but not in the classic sense. We're not producing an ad. We're not producing a commercial. What we're producing is a really high quality um, 10 episode uh, narrative that's going to feature entrepreneurs. They are the stars of this show. And they love the idea and, and, and we just had to work out the numbers and we had to work out you know, the milestones and so far, so good. They've been a phenomenal partner. That's awesome. That's super cool. That's super cool. So, um, uh, so you're in the process of selecting the different companies right now, and it's gonna. Um, you'll start recording. I, I saw that you're actually even recording some things. I'm assuming you're recording kind of just that process right now. Is that what's happening so far? Yeah, we yesterday actually um, at this amazing place um, called the Row in downtown LA. It's uh, kind of the rebirth of American business, it, the scale of this place is just, it's indescribable. Um, we shot some screen tests. So we brought out um, the woman who's going to host Going Public and we did her screen test. And then we brought several of the prospective issuers to screen test as well to see how they played on camera. And um, all of them were just fantastic. They were just terrific. The host was amazing. Uh, we knew she would be. And um, so we're in a casting phase right now and the types of companies that um, had, came to the screen test and that continue to come through our funnel through goingpublic.com who are applying for the series are um, mostly um, high growth consumer products companies, uh, companies that have a physical tangible product, companies that have businesses that are more easy to understand for just the general public. So mining and engineering services and things like that um, are, are not a good fit for this program, but things like health and wellness, 
beauty, clothing, spirits, um, things like that um, that are coming through. And we're looking at companies that have anywhere between 5 million and quite frankly, 80, 90 million in revenue, multiple mm -hmm. years of operating history. These are bona fide businesses with big customer bases that are ready to, to tap in. Um, and, and what I should say is allow their customers, fans and followers to tap in and actually own a piece of the business. So we always say that if the ethos aligns, all the numbers will fall into place. And so far that's worked for us. Any founder who understands the power of leveraging their customers, fans and followers to become brand ambassadors. There's no faster or better, stronger way to create a brand ambassador for your company than to allow that customer to actually invest and own a piece of the business that they like. Just like I wanted to invest in Uber and Lyft and Peloton and Pinterest because I love those products and I love those services, but I couldn't. So I never became a brand ambassador for those businesses because I right. never had that opportunity. Right. And, and the way, um, you know, this is all happening is through a, a Reg A filing. Is that correct? Yeah, it's called a Reg A plus tier two. Um, and most of these companies, we may do one deal that um, elects to stay private, who can also still use that same securities exemption, Reg A plus, and they just wouldn't experience an actual listing event, an IPO on um, on NASDAQ or, or a national securities exchange, but most of the companies who will be featured in season one aspire to list the NASDAQ. Super interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's because, you know, if you could shed a light on like why um, someone might go down this path as opposed to either raising venture capital or, you know, when we think of IPOs, we, like you're saying, we think of like these Ubers or like these really big, massive companies that have, you know, had multiple series of financing. So as a small cap IPO, like what, you know, you kind of talked about that, right? Like 5 million to 40 million in revenue or so forth. But um, why might a, a company decide to go down this path as opposed to a VC path or, uh, or otherwise? Yeah, it's, it's, such, it's, it's such a good question, Jonathan. And I think people forget that in 1997, Amazon was a true small cap IPO. Some would even call it a micro cap by today's standards. They raised $57 million, five, seven. Hmm. And you think about that today and you go, oh my God, that's like the biggest company in the world uh, yeah. with the wealthiest founder in the world. And, but companies used to go public sooner back in the 90s, right? All the way up into to the bubble burst of the dot-com era. And these small cap IPOs were like the life's blood of the economy. And you imagine how many jobs Amazon has created over the last you know, 25 years. And so what we're trying to accomplish here is provide an avenue for these companies to access the public markets in a new way. And this new way is better, faster, and cheaper than your classic S1 IPO, where those are really reserved for some of the biggest companies in the world that are doing billions and billions in revenue, yeah. which this particular security exemption um, does not support. The maximum raise possible today is $50 million in a Reg A plus IPO. There is a proposal though that the SEC uh, chairman, Jay Clayton is reviewing um, to increase the cap. Um, and for all intents and purposes, it looks like that's gonna happen and it's gonna be increased 50% to 75 million that a company can raise through this particular exemption. And um, 
what we're really offering is an opportunity to build and grow net new customers. So think about it. If a, co a company can still do an S1 IPO, if they're only raising, say, 30 or $40 million, they can do that. It's going to cost a lot more to do it. And how many net new customers are they going to pick up? Probably none, right? And then you start talking about, well, okay, what's the use of funds? If you're in a Series C, right, and you're trying to raise a C round and you're trying to raise $20 million, what percent of that $20 million is a founder going to spend on customer acquisition? Probably a pretty good chunk, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to Facebook, it's going to Google, right? These platforms that really help with customer acquisition. What we're suggesting and what we think is possible, what we believe is that leveraging your existing customer fan and follower base and allowing them to buy into the business also creates more revenue and more customers. We're exposing sure. brands to over 15 million unique visitors through the entrepreneur.com platform. So we believe that they'll collect um, net new customers faster and cheaper than they ever could with any other funding mechanism. It makes sense. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah, you're building your most loyal, you're getting your most loyal fans to invest, um, which means they're going to want to continue to, you know, purchase and buy stuff from the company, right? Like why not buy stuff or use the products that the company that you've invested in produces, you know, over, you know, their competitor or somewhere else. Right. So. Totally. Totally. I, we have this really amazing direct to consumer um, oral care brand. And I can't say their name yet, but rest assured, this founder is young. He's 27 years old. He's Hispanic. He built this from zero. The company has no debt. He owns 92% uh, of the business personally. And when we connected with him and told him our ethos, right, we want to democratize the IPO. We want to give people an opportunity to buy in. How many customers do you have? He said, I have 750,000 and I get it. I get it. And this is the type of individual that when he opens it up and allows these 750,000 people and then another 15 million viewers or access to 15 million viewers on entrepreneur.com to buy shares, do you think that those people are going to buy oral care products from uh, P&G ever again? Right. It's like, it's like you block out your competitors almost for life, I could argue. I mean, that's what we believe will happen. So you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you're creating really loyal loyal customers and brand ambassadors when you do this. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes a ton of sense. I think it's super smart and, you know, ultimately like what that's the, that's the goal, right? Yeah. That's the goal as, as a, as a founder and as you're building, you know, your team and, and who's using your stuff. Exactly. No, very, very cool. So when, um, when these, uh, when these founders, you know, are working with you and, and, and they're going on the show, I mean, it seems pretty clear that um, being on the show is going to lead to more people wanting to invest, right? So not only like their founders and like their people, you know, in that, how does that, what's kind of the way that that works overall? Or um, is there any like regulations or anything like that that need to be um, put into place as far as quote unquote, marketing the sale, um, right? Because it's on television. Does that, does that play any, any effect or how does that work? Yeah, so you're asking the right question. And, and I think um, one of the unique features that's worth mentioning about the Reg A Plus securities exemption, which my partner's an expert in, and I, I like to say I've had a residency with him. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm still training, but 
Um, it's been three years, so I'm starting to get a little more knowledge to be a little dangerous. Um, one of the unique features of the Reg A plus securities exemption is that you can do what's called general solicitation. And to, to just translate that, you can market the deal. Now it has yeah. to be qualified by the SEC. So the companies will need to file what's called a form 1A offering circular and the SEC will review it. They may um, ask some questions, provide some comments. And if the company can resolve those questions and comments, the SEC will have no further questions and comments and actually um, they will um, qualify the offering. So by the time episode one airs, all five companies will have been qualified by the SEC, meaning that if you're a viewer and you're watching this show and you turn it on on entrepreneur.com on your laptop and you hit play on that video player, you may already know one of the companies. And so you're ready to invest and you can, you would click a button that says click to invest, which would open up our platform. So we're a FinTech financial services meets media company. And so we have a platform that allows an investor, a retail investor to subscribe uh, to any of the offerings on the show in less than three minutes. And yeah. then once the deals close and once the offering closes and the deals close and hopefully they all list to NASDAQ, they'll receive an email with a password and then they'll have access to their shares. They can do one of three things uh, in that format. They can sell them. They can simply hold them because now they're publicly traded offer and they can hold them or they can link their existing retail brokerage account, their Robinhood account or their Schwab account hmm. and then move those shares in there if they'd like to freely trade them. Yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. And is there a minimum that someone has to invest? There's no minimum, but there is um, a protection built into the securities exemption that says um, a person must certify that they're not investing more than 10% of their net worth or annual income. So there is a protection built in there. You know, nobody's going to be able to leverage their life savings and, and invest in this kind of thing. And um, most companies featured, they'll select their own minimum. Um, oftentimes it could be as low as say $500. Uh, we've seen companies go lower. We've seen companies go higher. Um, and, and the best part is, is that a lot of that decision-making will be guided by the investment bank that we've partnered with. And so this is where it gets really interesting. Most IPOs over the last hundred years, all of the allocations of the shares are really provided to what are known as institutional investors. So these are really high net worth individuals. These are pension funds. These are family offices. And what we're doing in partnership with this investment bank called Roth Capital Partners is Roth is going to underwrite the deals. And for the first time ever, retail investors actually get an opportunity to invest alongside of the institutional clients. So those high net worth individuals, family offices and pension funds who have really gotten all of the access to the shares before they list to the public market, now retail investors get to invest alongside of them. And uh, this has never happened before. Yeah. And so what we're doing essentially is democratizing the IPO and we're leveling out the playing field and giving retail investors access to something that they've uh, been deprived of, quite frankly. Yeah, no, it's super interesting. Um, you know, so I want to move away from uh, the show and just talk about like the world, uh, which might sound scary. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, we, we're, we're in this interesting time right now. Um, you know, people are at home. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. And, um, you know, while the economy seems to be, um, you know, from an employment standpoint and like some of the traditional jobs, like the stock market is, you know, 
still rallying pretty hard. I'm assuming you have like some interesting opinions on that being that you're, you know, working in this space is curious, kind of like what your thoughts are overall um, with just where the market is and, and what, what, what we're seeing. Well, I mean, I'll tell you first and foremost that I suffer from this disease called optimism and a lot of us entrepreneurs suffer with it. Um, but that aside, I mean, I think that there's opportunity in chaos. There always has been, by the way. Um, IPOs have seen um, a massive uptick over the last six months, especially. You're seeing a lot of SPACs hit the market. But I think the, the tone of all of it, the spirit, Jonathan, of all of it is people believe in American business. They believe in entrepreneurs. They believe in the products and services that are coming forward, especially those that have really aligned with some of the changes that are occurring in the country and in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Things that are more tech technologically focused, things that are more direct to consumer, things that allow consumers to do more things um, online, things that are related to delivery, right? All of these things align with what's happening in the world. So um, are we gonna feature companies that are more brick and mortar? Probably not in season one, right? Because it's not really aligned with what's happening right now. On the flip side of that though, just like what's happening in the marketplace, companies that have been able to thrive in this kind of environment, um, have customers, fans, followers, and institutions who, who really want to build that company up, invest, and help them get to even, even higher heights. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is true. Know, what, do you, what do you think? I mean, it is, it is eyebrow raising to see that in this kind of environment that the, that the stock market is thriving. So um, I have a theory. If we want the stock market to stop, you just need me to come in heavy and then um, to invest heavy into the market and then it's all going to go downhill. I'm pretty good at buying the top. So, you know, I don't know, man, it's, it's really interesting to me. Um, I think that, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not as well versed on this as, as, you know, some of the people that you get to people get to see on CNBC. But um, I think what's, what's interesting for me is just the the amount of growth that we've had, not even since Corona, but just for the last 11 years, basically since 2008. And that's, I guess, you know, not to be like one of those people that's like only cycles matter. It's just like, when, when does the, when does the cycle break? That that's, that's kind of my thing. But I, I agree. Like if you're someone that understands markets or you're some, able to capitalize, you know, during these times, then, then you definitely should. And, but, um, you know, every, I've been wrong the past five months of like, what's going to happen in the stock market. I've been just like completely wrong. I'm like, I'm like, today's the day things are tanking today, today, today. I, like, heard, nope. I heard something, I heard something yesterday from one of my mentors. He said, you know, if I had just done nothing with my portfolio, I'd probably be in better shape than I am today. And, and a lot less stressed. Um, totally. people, when you try to time things and try to go after things. So I think if you have a long-term view, um, the entrepreneurialism that's alive and well in America is going to keep on thriving. People have good ideas. They have good products. They have good teams and they need capital to get to that next level. And yeah. there's a lot of people uh, willing to give them that capital and make that investment. And, and I also think that um, folks who are younger, the, the millennials and the, even the Gen Z, right? I'm an Xer, but like millennials and Gen Z have taken it upon themselves to study, to read, yeah. to learn. 
And one of the platforms that they go to, of course, is entrepreneur.com and there's several others, but they're really getting interested in investing in numbers that I don't think the country's ever seen, right? Oh, investing in my generation was like something your dad did or your mom did or grandparents yeah. did. And now millennials and Gen Zers are saying, well, I can do that. I can learn that. I understand technology. I, right. I, you know, I'm a technology native. That's really exciting to me. That that's something that I agree is unprecedented. Well, right, and it's and it's easier than ever, right? You have like Robinhood as an app, or you know anything you want. You can buy cryptocurrency if you wanted to. Really simply, it's just it's definitely uh, easier than ever. I I do I totally agree. Um, you know from from that from that standpoint. Um, I don't know, man. It'll be interesting to see what happens. And um, I think, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, we'll see what happens after the elections. And like, it probably will just keep going up more likely than not, regardless of who wins. <laughs> just I, I hope so. I hope so. Because I'll tell you what, you know, there's a psychology to all of it, right? That's not lost on anyone. Um, and when you look at your retirement account or you look at your portfolio, and if those numbers are higher, it gives you more confidence, even if that's just in your mind. But sometimes what that confidence translates into is, you know, more consumer spending. And that's helpful for right. the economy, right? Um, right? And so if we can just get ahead of this darn virus and get people back to work, I think um, the economy has a real strong shot at a, at a really big rebound. Yeah. On that topic, how's your work from home been? I mean, I came from the med tech industry. So um, for the last 17 years, I've never had an office. Um, there was always a home office, but I was never in it. I was always in the field. I was always working with executives and, and uh, you know, moving the business forward. So for me, working from home is not a change. Yeah. Um, and, but I will say this, you know, especially raising capital. Um, I never thought in a million years that you could raise capital something that requires trust, something that you would think requir requires physical presence, handshakes, um, th that it could work on, a, on, on Zoom. But turns out uh, people actually really love the efficiency of it. And I know for my co-founder and I, we were going to New York every single week, right? The, the heart of capital markets. And mm -hmm. we were having strategic meetings and we were trying to get different stakeholders at the meetings and we'd extend our stay. And so when COVID hit and travel really wasn't um, in the cards and we started to do all these virtual meetings, we became wildly efficient. And I think buy side, sell side, but both sides became um, pleasantly surprised that efficiencies um, were there and that actually business could get done. So for us, we just, you know, in any environment, you've got to find a way to thrive. And I think, um, you know, certainly there's been challenges, but um, I'm happy with where we're at today. And, and uh, don't get me wrong, I want this virus to be over and I like shaking hands. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's definitely been an interesting time. I agree, though, like, I, I've become more efficient, you know, kind of in this COVID uh, environment and, uh, you know, from content production to like you're saying meetings, I, you know, I'm fundraising myself for something I'm doing. And so it's been good talking to investors has been, you know, fairly simple. Um, and, or at least I can get on people's calendars a little bit quicker, I feel like than it was before, right? You know, so that's good, too. I, I totally and you get there. the right people in the room, right? Because they're all virtual, whereas before schedules, physical schedules had to align. And that that's no joke, as we all know, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And then I, you know, I, to shift the conversation a bit, I think that's probably what's going to make 
part, not the only reason, but I think it'll be interesting for your show, right? In the sense that um, one thing I've really noticed when it comes to content, even the content I produce, and because I, I host a lot of physical in-person conferences, right? And um, whereas now the, the replays on the stuff I, I do is much higher than it's ever been. It's kind of like this, like you watch things when it's convenient for you, right? Like that's why you have Netflix. That's why you have Hulu. You know, that's why people cut the cord. So like, you know, they're going to be able to watch your show whenever it's convenient for them, not at eight o'clock on whatever day, you know, only time they can watch it and then they have to watch a replay or whatever. Yeah. And passive, I think also, um, just to, to, to your point, passive television viewing is, is, is pretty much over, right? Like if you even think about if you're watching a ball game when we had them or you're watching something on your big screen, most people have this out too right? Yeah. They have their phone in their hand, they have their tablet. If you're me, you have your laptop, your phone and your tablet and you're, <laughs> you're trying to do a million things, right? The, the hard part, and I think this is where we're going to have a first mover and a strong advantage, is linking the small screen and the big screen, right? And, and you, you bring up a great point. People want to consume content on their own terms. So, you know, showing up at eight o'clock, and that's one, one strong reason why we also walked from a broadcast cable deal for going public because we wanted people, uh, the viewing habits of people to align with, you know, being able to do what they want when they want. And we also didn't want them to feel like they, they were passive. They wanted to be active participants and that's hard to do with broadcast. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, well, Todd, I've, I've loved this conversation. One question I love to end uh, on my show is, what's a question that you have that you'd like to ask our audience that they can think about as they go about their day? I would say, um, what are you doing to take care of your mental health right now? What's your, what's your, your COVID hack personally for your own mental health? Yeah. For me, it's, it, it's nature. And I live in Los Angeles, so there's a lot of cement. So you really have to search for nature. Uh -huh. um, but, but for me, I, I must get out into nature, into the environment and you know, get some peace that way and some solitude. And I would just ask you to ask yourselves, what are you doing to get that solitude? Because it's so important. Even if you don't think it is, when you go get it, it will become clear. Oh, you'll realize, oh my God, this is what I've been like missing. This is what I need. So yeah. that's the question. And, and so I, I, I pose it to you, Jonathan. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the side questions for everybody. For me, I guess my answer would be, um, I, I just love my dog, man. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> like, um, my wife and son wanted a dog last year. And I'm like, no dog. I don't want a dog. I don't want to clean up after it. Like, if we get a dog, that's you. That's all you guys. You guys got to take care of it. And I like, find, you know, and then sure enough, like, I take the dog for like long walks. They take it for walks too, but I take them, you know, for long walks and stuff. And like, man, like, I really think having a dog has actually been good for me from like a stress level because he's just so darn funny and I like him and and, and we you know he, he's a good guy but more than anything he gets me going for walks every morning so I notice that if I take that walk in the morning my head's more clear you know I feel better um, and like the days where maybe I like wake up a little bit later or I like oh I can't do a walk this morning or whatnot like it just takes me an extra step because I'm not a coffee drinker I just not not because I think it's bad or anything I just have never drank coffee 
uh, or sporty. So like that it's walk is kind of like my jolt. What's don't that? Start. We'll never stop. As yeah, don't yeah. start coffee. We'll never stop. No, um, but no, I hear you. I mean, I have two dogs and um, I love taking them out. So any excuse, any reason you can find, even if maybe you don't even need a reason other than I just, I, I got to go do it. Get out, get out into the air, get out into the outdoors and be with yourself right? Be at one with yourself and get some solitude, even if it's for 20 minutes. That's, I think, a big um, a missing piece for a lot of people right now. You can get really bogged down in, in, you know, screen time. And whether that's for business or pleasure, or you're just trying to, you know, watch the news, there, there's just a lot of emotional things swirling around right now for everybody. So um, I hope everybody gets some time and, and has access to some outdoor stuff. Definitely, definitely. Um, well, Todd, what are some good ways that people can stay in touch with you, uh, pay attention to what you're up to, follow you, the show, et cetera? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking. So our website, which is um, going to be the platform where investments get processed, um, ultimately we'll, we'll transition it. Now it's a casting site. You can get in touch with us there at goingpublic.com. And uh, we have all the handles at Going Public, Twitter at Going Public, Instagram, Facebook, but um, we also will be making some big announcements very soon here in the next probably 10 to 15 business days. We'll be announcing the host of Going Public. We'll be announcing the first issuer featured on Going Public, and we'll be announcing one of the first mentors who will, go, who will be featured on the show as well. Um, huge titan of business, big tech titan. Um, so we, we're just so excited to bring those first three announcements, and um, hopefully they'll make it um, you know, somebody will pick that up um, in the media and, uh, you know, make hay with it and you'll be able to find us there too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, definitely, definitely. And once, once uh, we'll definitely be sharing those out. I'm excited to watch the show and um, yeah, we'll definitely be sharing out that information when we can. And uh, you know, we hope to be able to have some of your contestants on, on the podcast as well. I think that'd be great. And just really looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing it. Man, keep doing what you're doing. I love, I love what you're doing. I love the vibe of it. It's conversational. It's what people need. It's real and it's genuine and it matters. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again for, for joining me. Take care, Jonathan. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the TF Podcast. Please make sure that you are like and subscribe. Fill in those stars. It goes a long way in making sure that other people get to see the show. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at JG Product uh, or TF Labs at TF Labs, sorry, at TF Labs underscore. And of course, you can learn more uh, about uh, what we're up to and see other shows at tflabs.io. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all soon.